This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Being in the moment, like you said, mindfulness, just kind of noticing the things that are happening, you know, even if you don't like them, like let them pass on by down that stream because like it's not going to be forever. And the stuff that you do like, um, enjoy while it's there and just like be present and, you know, not, not keep your eye on how you think things should be looking, but how they are looking. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for parents to seek the same in their own lives while striving to be the best versions of themselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, With increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. And I am really excited to introduce you to our guest today, who is so aligned with our mission here. And this topic, today's show is called Motherhood, The Full Story. And I'd like to introduce you to Elena Dillon, who is the author of Mercy House, a library journal best book of 2020, which has been optioned as a television series produced by Amy Schumer, as well as The Happiest Girl in the World, A Good Morning America Pick, and My Body is a Big Fat Temple, a forthcoming book, which we're going to talk about, which is a memoir of pregnancy and early parenting. Elena's work has appeared in Publications including Lit Hub, River Teeth, Slice Magazine, The Rumpus, The Dr. T.J. Eckelberg Review, and Bustle. She teaches creative writing and lives on the North Shore of Boston with her husband, son, Black Lab, and tons of books. Elena, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So, gosh, I, I have so many different, because this is real. We're talking about the real, the real deal here. And I think the first thing I wanted to, uh, to start with is just this big, simple question of what did you expect going into motherhood? And what had you had no, did you have no idea despite knowing lots of mothers and parents and, you know, and doing lots of reading? Well, there's been a lot of surprises, but um, I think probably the first was how difficult pregnancy is. Um, at least for me, I think everybody's mm-hmm. experience is totally different. Some people love pregnancy. Um, and for me, it was, it was trying, it was, um, really primal. Um, I mean, people talk about, you know, morning sickness and being uncomfortable and things like that. But, um, I don't think the kind of, um, 
the extent to which it takes a toll on your body is really discussed that much. And, Mm -hmm. um, like how, how trying, um, morning sickness is, I mean, like the term itself is kind of diminishing, um, to say Mm -hmm. like that your own morning sickness, it's like makes it part of the day, Um, but a lot of people it's all the damn day, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, for a very long time. And, um, so, so yeah, I think, um, going through the experience has made me really respect, um, women, like the, the ability of women's bodies. Um, but that it's, it's a, process that comes at a cost. It's, it's not mm-hmm. always a magical experience, um, or at least, you know, not all of it is a magical, magical experience. And that, um, perhaps like we should, you know, pay attention and, and give kind of more due, um, mm-hmm. to all that, mm-hmm. that birthers go through. And when you were, when you were looking for books to prepare you, I mean, you strike me from, um, learning about you, you strike me as someone who, who runs deep, who goes deep, like likes to get to the issues. So you were you doing research prior, uh, like early pregnancy before pregnancy, or was it like now you're in it and you're like, how come where where's the information that I'm looking for? Yeah. So, um, for me, it wasn't an easy and like an easy decision, whether I wanted to have kids. I like, I I postponed it for quite a while after I got married. I'm just kind of waiting for, um, that feeling, like I, I like, I thought that, you know, like the, your, your clock is ticking, you're feeling like the urge to have kids, like people talk about that and it never was happening for me. Um, but at some point I was like, well, you know, just biologically, you have to kind of make a decision. Um, so because it wasn't clear to me, I, I turned to, to books, which I often mm-hmm. do kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, like when I travel, I, I check out like three different books about Paris and like take notes and highlight. And so I, I kind of approached this decision in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tracked down all the parenthood books, all the motherhood books that I could find. And there were, there were a lot of, um, kind of like nonfiction how to's or, um, you know, like science oriented, but I didn't find a lot of like personal experience, um, centered books. So like a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, I didn't find a lot of memoir or just like about the journey of becoming, mothers, there were some, um, and I, I definitely appreciated those, but I wanted more because, um, the more I heard about it, the more I realized how varied the experiences are. So if you had, if you collected more experiences, you would increase the chances that you'd find one that you recognize. Um, so it's, so there's, there's that saying that, you know, you want to write the book that you want to read. Um, yep. So, yeah. so I kind of took that to heart and said, well, there, there seems to be kind of a gap here, which is a huge shame considering how universal the experience of pregnancy is. Like that seems like there's a big deficit there. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I took notes and I, I wrote this book in real time so that um, somebody who also was going through it in real time might, might kind of recognize the heat of that emotion and like the sharpness of the anxiety and um, you know, the, the vibrancy of the joy and, and all those um, all that would stay alive on the page. And I remember my, the, the huge stack of books next to my wife's book stand when we um, were expecting, when she was pregnant, we were expecting our first. And one of the ones that always stands out, I mean, just through time, is that what to expect when you're expecting. Um, like, what, what is in, like, what is in there and versus what isn't? You know, when you think about pregnancy, early mothering books, like, what is the standard and then what's missing? 
Yeah. So I think there's a lot of great information about what's happening in your body. And that's really interesting because you have like this kind of, um, you know, scientific insight and this clinical um, approach um, that maybe, you know, if, if you're not um, knowledgeable in those fields is a nice supplement to like the, the real world experience. Um, but what, w- what would be missing um, is kind of like that raw emotional side um, mm-hmm. and like, the fears um, and the stuff that's maybe embarrassing um, and how, how those kind of clinical aspects of what's happening to your body now apply to your real life and to your real relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you do go into, you go into that in a very real way. Um, but before we keep going, I just thought of when you talked about, I, I keep thinking of in your introduction, you talk about your mom and your, the, her, your mom and maps. And, you know, I think that's really cool. Cause of course with parent footprint, it's like how our parents have imprinted upon us and how we're going to imprint hopefully, uh, purposefully and, uh, with awareness on our own children. Like, tell us a little bit about that. Like, your mom and that, that, that footprint that she put on you with this idea of maps and a way, you know, like wanting to have a way to navigate. Yeah. I talk about how my mom's like a very visual learner and that whenever she enters a space, she kind of reaches for like a tangible map to help her navigate. So that was true when I moved to the town that I'm currently in. Like the first thing she did when she came to visit was go to my town hall and ask, um, an administrator there, if, they, if she could have a hard copy map of, of Beverly, Massachusetts, and they had to, you know, kind of go through the files and pull out this antiquated papery map. And it was like the last one they had. Um, and so, yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't like, um, you know, Google maps, like that doesn't work for her. She likes the hard copy map and she keeps them in her car. And, um, and whenever we travel, she has, she has those that she uses, even though we're like, we'll just follow, we'll just walk along with the man in our phone. (laughs) Um, so, so yeah, that is her way. And that's, that what works for her. And in a very similar, I am not, I am not oriented in that way, but what I need are other people's stories like that. Um, mm-hmm. people that have gone before me, that's who orient me and help me like give a heads up of what to expect. Um, and, and that way, if I encounter those things, I don't feel lost because I'm like, Oh, somebody has been here before. Like, here's that footprint. Like it's, it's like, it's like following the mm-hmm. tracks, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, um, then you have like a, tr- a trail through the experience and you know that you're not the first one. Um, and you're not an aberration. Like this is normal and you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And I, that's really important because all of the, um, there's all the tough stuff, both physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically about, um, having a child, carrying a child. Um, I'll even say as a father, be, I mean, becoming a father and what you hear about is the, all the wonderful stuff and, and therefore, if you're not feeling, let's say, that connection, if you're not in bliss, if you're not so excited and there, you, you're, you think something's wrong with you when Absolutely. it's actually like no, normal a lot of the time. Yes. And like there, there is this pressure not to talk about the grit. And like, mm-hmm. um, and I think maybe that's lifting and changing a little bit now, but there were so many things that I went through that I had never heard about before, despite being surrounded by people that had become parents, despite going to these regular doctor's appointments. Um, like there's stuff that's not advertised, but then as soon as I 
went through it and then mentioned it to somebody, you know, like kind of, and, and kind of cautiously, you know, I'd be like, mm-hmm. you know, I think I'm not sure that I'm bonded with my baby the way that I should mm-hmm. be. Like as soon as I braved those things out loud, um, if there was a mother across from me who had been through the same thing, like suddenly the curtain would drop and she'd be like, me too. Like, and, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're reassured because it means that you're not broken and you're not the only person. Um, and so I think that connection is so critical to feeling safe in this experience. And that's why I wanted to, um, to confront like all the most embarrassing parts of pregnancy so that Mm -hmm. I can be that person for somebody else Mm -hmm. who wanted to pick up a book and, and discover indignities and maybe not like the proudest moments. Um, and, and know that they're not alone. Yeah. I mean, and if people like you can say it and write it, um, without shame, right. Just own it. It is such a relief for people to know that, okay. Um, you know, if she can feel this way, then it's okay for me to feel this way in other ways. Like there's not a quote right way. Right. It's freeing for me too, because you spend so much energy, um, you know, projecting a false persona. It's much Mm -hmm. easier just to be truthful. And then, then, and then you feel seen. Mm hmm. So, okay, you you did all this research, you were, you know, thinking about having a child for a while. Was there like a moment that you're like, I have to write this book? Or was it just a gradual like journaling turning into a, a memoir? It was, it was gradual. I wasn't sure what it was going to become. Um, I knew that I wanted to write it for myself to just mm-hmm. process the feelings because you know, I, I felt a lot of different ways and I wasn't exactly sure why, like, why didn't I want kids? Like, why wasn't that like a propulsion? Um, and was it wrong not to feel that way? And so these are like all topics that I was kind of exploring on the page to figure out why I was feeling that way and if it made sense. Um, so it was, I was kind of grappling the experiences. Um, and then, you know, bit by bit, all the different things that I encountered, um, I was working out on the page and, 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 um, yeah, eventually it just, it just became this journey of going from, you know, deciding whether or not kids was in the, the, the plan for me to, you know, now my son is two years old and I have, this, this memoir that encompasses that transformation. That is in this real parenting space. And uh, congratulations on uh, Amy Schumer. being oh, very yeah. interested in your writing and picking this up. I mean, so it just shows um, also a very real person who puts it all out there. Like, so what is, what, what do you see in this real, uh, real parenting movement, this real motherhood movement that's going on? Yeah. Um, it, it it just it has seemed to me that um the the big tendency is to look at motherhood through this like romantic lens of you know earth goddess um or like you know holy madonna um you know when you see pregnancy photo shoots it's like often women wearing these like goddess dresses and like wading into rivers. Um, and that's beautiful. If, if that's the, how you feel, go for it. But it just doesn't seem like the whole story. Um, at least not the whole story for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, now I'm seeing this kind of shift where we're, we're showing, you know, the postpartum belly that it doesn't, it doesn't shrink right back up, you know, or like, um, the, you know, how, how long you bleed. There was that, that like, that was, there was that Frida commercial that came out around the Super Bowl that was actually banned from, from being played in the Super Bowl that was, you know, kind of centered on postpartum depression and the difficulties of breastfeeding. Um, but when I saw that, it was like, 
it was like a breath of fresh air. I mean, it was like a little mm-hmm. triggering because it like was so real and it brought me back to yeah. like the difficulty of those times. But like what, how empowering though, to, to project those images um, and, and to make it kind of universal that this is something that, that people struggle with. And this is, you know, the, the, the kind of warriors that, that new mothers are, that it's not just mm-hmm. like this kind of glossy, picture of of a happy woman getting exactly what she's always wanted and we love them all you know like we love the baby already and like all of these kind of sentiments that you see from an airbrushed social media perspective like this is like pulling you know back the curtain and and seeing kind of the entire picture which is you know could be Mm -hmm. a really primal love but then also not recognizing your body and like not knowing how to satisfy your child. Like there's a learning curve there as you get to know one another, um, Mm -hmm. you know, having the baby scream at you for, you know, for, for so long and you just want it, you just want to satisfy it and soothe it, but you've tried everything and it's not working and you're sleep deprived and, um, and you can't even think straight and, and things are crazy and you're bleeding and you're leaking and you've got rashes and, you know, maybe mastitis infection and like things are just nuts. It's a nutty chaotic time. Um, and, a, and it's beautiful because you've created something and this person's going to have a future and change who you are as a person. And, um, you know, like I think there's, there's never a regret when you add more love to your life, but it's not, it's not all, you know, rainbows and butterflies, like some, you know, some social media images would suggest. Um, probably a little more than some from what I've seen. <laughs> and I, uh, and I'm, why do you think, why do you think our culture does this? Like what, I mean, not does not what you're doing, does what we usually do, which is make everything look like, like so nice. So project this positive. Yeah. This was going on before social media. Right. This it, image. It, sure, it sure was. I think there's a few reasons. Um, I think one is that in general, um, a lot of women's issues are, have not been considered, um, you know, for polite conversation. Um, you know, like even just like discussions of periods for all time have been, you know, like you, you, you call it aunt flow or like, you, you know, you, <laughs> you're afraid yeah. that you, like, you don't want to send your husband to buy tampons. Like these are, these yeah, are things right. that have, that are not considered for general consumption. Like this is like think conversations that are in hushed tones. Um, even like, even, you know, ma- materials that are directed towards women, like, um, rom-coms and, and women's fiction, like it's categorized separately so that men don't have to accidentally trip over it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, motherhood and pregnancy is like the epitome of femaleness. It's like the, the thing that we can do. Um, so what we go through and, and the struggles that we go through just are not, you know, considered appealing and, you know, for everybody. It's not like, mm-hmm. it's not to be discussed for everybody. Um, in addition when I was pregnant and like asking my doctor why there's, there were so many things that I wasn't told about. I often heard like, well, if we didn't, if we told you this, you wouldn't have kids, which I found to be such an infuriating response. But Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so demeaning that like you couldn't have had all the information because then you wouldn't have come to the right decision. And we wanted to, you know, want to trick you. Exactly. Like I couldn't handle the truth. Um, And it's so silly because women have multiple kids. So like they go through it and they decide to have it again. So it just doesn't make sense. But I think, um, yeah, there's this kind of pressure to just to like preserve the image of mother um, either. So we don't scare other women or so we don't scare men. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And in terms of preserving, um, I'm going to move to preserving um, mental health. So something that it was was really cool. I, I just read your uh, your piece about uh, the parts of our pandemic lives worth preserving were your piece on running. And that really spoke to me uh, as someone who I tell people, so I'm a regular runner, and I tell people like I run for I don't run for physical health, like I run for mental health. I mean, of course, you get the physical health in there. But so t- like tell everyone what you did, what you went from to what you did, because it's it's quite astonishing. Yeah. Um, so I don't think I'm alone in this experience. I think a lot of people in the pandemic have, have done similar things. But um, before the pandemic, I've always tried. I always tried to exercise, but it was always kind of like this like lazy gesture for it toward it. You know, I'd like play a Zumba video and then like kind of like shuffle along and like call it said that I exercised. Um, and then. Uh, like during lockdown, um, one day I was just like, I'm going to go for a run. I think because like we had started going for on multiple walks a day, I think like a lot of people, because you should get that change of scenery, you know, like there was Mm -hmm. nowhere to go. Um, we wanted to get out of the house. And so like, we would extend our house by like walking outside and making our neighborhood, like, you know, an extra route around the hallway. Um, so we were doing multiple runs a day and, um, then there was the, the idea or multiple walks a day. And then there was, um, the fact that we had no childcare. So any time that I wasn't working, I was taking care of my son. Um, and so there was just no time for, for me outside of my, of my writings. There was no time for just my own mental health or, you know, serving my own interests and running became kind of, um, protected time that was justifiable for me to take um, outside of watching my son. And, and these are pressures that I put on myself. It's not like my husband saying you're not allowed to do other things outside or, or um, mm-hmm. this is, you know, it, it, I think it's like something that's just ingrained in a lot of mothers is I need to justify why, like why I'm not with my son and work is, is a good reason because there's income. So you, but you, so you just have to like find other good reasons mm-hmm. and running is, you know, it's healthy. Um, right. so, so that was, that was protected time that I could just have for me and my audiobook. Um, so every day it, 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 I mean, maybe it started, you know, as like, okay, I'll just do like a mile. I, mean, I could probably just do a mile, even though I'm not a runner. Um, and if I don't finish the mile, like it's more than I would have run otherwise. And so like, I just set very low expectations for myself and, um, and it was just, it was nice to just, you know, get some fresh air, um, channel some of that nervous energy that we were all having during the pandemic, seeing mm-hmm. other people in safe ways, you know, watching how other people are coping and then like keeping an eye on the neighborhood and like feeling these kind of distant connections by seeing, you know, people in the gardening in their backyards or, uh, you know, playing with their dogs. Um, and just day by day, I kept doing it. And it's now been, you know, a year and, and four months or so, three months. Um, and I haven't missed a day and, and, and now it feels like a compulsion in a way because I'm, I'm worried mm-hmm. that if I skip a day, then tomorrow I'll be like, well, I could just skip one more day and like the whole thing will unravel. I've never, yeah. I've never gone yeah. from being an exerciser to being a non-exerciser or, you know, to, to like, to having a, a like day by day and then going back to exercising. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm just trying to, trying to keep the, the streak going. Nice. And it's, um, it's so needed. I mean, even in a non-pandemic life, which we are all starting, we're starting to experience again, um, depending where we are in the country, but things are opening up. So it's nice to get out again. Motherhood, self-care, 
<laughs> right? Like how much is out there about that? Right. Like what's been your learning, your 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 learning curve on what you need to be a, a healthy you and be a present you for your child? Yeah, I and and, you know, comparing it to what my husband needs and make, making sure that we're we're all finding our own our own ways to care for ourselves. So, yeah, that has been an experience. Um so I'm more of an extrovert. So I, I kind of thrive when I'm out in social situations or, or I get at least some time of that, which I'm grateful is now returning a bit. That was difficult during the pandemic. Um, but my husband is not. So he's an introvert. So he has found his self-care. Every morning he wakes up at 530 and does um, 45 minutes of yoga before the rest of the house gets up. And he just likes mm -hmm. having that quiet house where no one else is awake. It's just him. Um, and he, you know, is doing a lot of breathing, um, and stretching and, and that is how he feels renewed for the day. Um, that would not work for me. I would find that too boring. Um, and, and, uh, so running worked for me. Um, and then there's the social aspect where like he does not need that at all. And in, in fact, that just adds more stress to his life. Like he kind of found that aspect of the pandemic to be refreshing in that he didn't have to, you know, meet the needs of other people by going out. He had an excuse. Um, so I am somebody who needs that. And I feel this like guilt and probably self-imposed shame a little bit when I'm the one who goes out. After, you know, before I put Rowan to bed or, or after Rowan goes to bed to meet some friends, um, that feels like kind of an indulgent move for a mother. Um, and again, that's, it's self-imposed, it's culturally imposed. Um, it seems like we accept, you know, if a father goes out, you know, after, after work for the day, he needs to unwind, he worked hard, you know. Um, but if a mother goes out, there's like kind of this illicit vibe about it. And yeah. I'm trying to overcome that. Guilt. Because, yes. yes. And it's, it's me and it's something that I'm working on, but of course it's, you know, imposed by our society too. I mean, like there's a franchise called bad moms about moms who go out and drink. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. So like you couldn't have a franchise about bad dads. It would be like, they'd have to be committing crimes or something like it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah, there's, 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 um, a need for, for moms to care for themselves, but also there's this extra hurdle of not being judged. Like I, mm -hmm. I know that I've, I've heard other people talk about moms who, you know, go on, you know, weekend getaways with some friends and, and they're like, Oh, that poor, but the, the poor, the dad is babysitting or, you know, like single parenting <laughs> and like that, you know, of course that term babysitting for dads is yeah. like so silly. Um, but yeah, poor guy, poor right. guy. He's got to take care of his kids. That wow, <laughs> that's terrible. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, it's 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 important yeah. to find whatever works for your family and to make sure that everybody's needs are being met. And it's it's a tough balance, um, especially if you, if you feel like you know things are working against you. you bring up judgment from others, which is true, like societal judgment. Um, and that could be, I mean, you know, often it's other moms or, uh, older generation moms, you know, like, what are you doing? You know, like how's, you know, are you being selfish, are you focusing on yourself. But then you also talked about, I think it's important to differentiate your own internalized, uh, judgment. And I think it is important for people to 
look at that and take it apart to be like, okay, what's coming from the society? What's coming from extended family and friends? And then what's coming from, from me and trying to start to chisel away at the, like, what can I, how can I think about this differently? Regardless of what other people think, like, how can I give myself permission? How can I know that I'm a good mom and uh, I need to be healthy. I need to take care of myself. Yeah. And, and like, for me, that has been, you know, if, if I, if I'm going out to meet friends at night, um, it's been, and I feel guilty about it. I, I just asked my husband, you know, like, is this working for us? Like, is this, is this okay? And like, and it's hearing somebody else be like, yes, like, I don't want to go, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, right. like you should be the one to go. Or like I went last time or, you know, like, like having that dialogue and, and give having somebody else, I should like, I shouldn't need the permission, but like having somebody mm-hmm. else tell me that it's, it's okay. And like, I need it, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll return a better mother for it, you know, mm-hmm. that then that, that, that feels, that makes me feel better than walking out the door. So, um, talking about partners, husbands, um, and I'm going to use them either for partners or husbands. So the person who's not, uh, carrying the baby, uh, primary caretaker of the baby, what it's different, right? It's different. I remember again, look back, it's like, I wasn't able to connect with, um, my children the same way my wife was when she was pregnant, I wasn't connected that way, right? It was more of an intellectual exercise. And, and, and as, um, a husband or another partner who has not had that experience and is not carrying, like what advice can you give to our listeners about how to convey things, you know, from what you went through, how to, how to convey things like to your husband, like what you're experiencing in a way that, you know, is real. And it's, you know, the communication, it may be not easy at times, but it's, it's, it's real and it's open. So partners know how to support. Yeah. So, um, that's really interesting. Um, the, the way you phrased it too, about like, you know, how, how, you know, the, the partner who is not carrying the baby is not connected to the baby. Um, I actually, when I was pregnant, didn't never felt that connection myself, um, mm. which I didn't expect. I thought, I, 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 I thought the, the love would come immediately and I would feel this equilibrium and this connection with the baby in my body. Um, and I kept waiting for it and, and it never came. And that was kind of terrifying. And, um, and it also didn't come after the birth for much longer than I would have um, would have liked, like people, you know, talk about how the, they're like giving birth is the, is the happiest day of their life. And they feel this instant flood of love. Um, and, and for me that didn't happen. It was something that like a love that built gradually, um, over a period of months. And so I kind of thought of myself as like, that's the stereotypical dad, like quote unquote, like that feels apart from the whole experience and is not, you know, like, like reaping the benefits, um, of, of that, you know, hormone, um, flood. Um, so my advice, I suppose to, to fathers would be, or or to partners based would be based on my own experience living it as a mother. Um, which Mm. is, I guess, to, um, to, to realize that, um, the mother or the, the birther is, experiencing some forms of loss as well. Like if she is, um, if she is struggling through pregnancy, it's because Mm -hmm. she has lost the person that she was before pregnancy. 
Um, and that pregnancy, at least for me, um, was almost like having a chronic illness. Um, and so like, I have also a new, renewed respect for chronic illness, um, sufferers, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. because it's not something that you can escape. You're almost trapped inside this condition and your body, um, is growing like faster than your confidence and comfort can keep up with. Um, it, it almost looks different by the end of the day that it did at the beginning of the day. Um, and not always in attractive ways. Um, and you feel different and there's pain. Um, and there is, you know, bowel discomfort and there is all sorts of different things. And so, um, even if she is feeling, you know, connected to the baby, um, and, and the benefits of that love, there has like she's sacrificing for it. So it's it's mm -hmm. kind of this this mm -hmm. give and take. Um and right. then as far as after the baby is born, if you're still not feeling connected, um my husband was actually really comforting to me when I expressed this fear that I didn't think that I loved the baby and there was actually mm -hmm. a time when you know like a, a, even weeks in when I said I feel like I love you, my husband more than I love this baby and I think that is terrible and like that that mm -hmm. is not acceptable um and he was really comforting to me and said well you've known me much longer um <laughs> so you know like we have a 10-year history and and you've only you only know this person for two weeks and like already yeah. like look how much like look how much we've learned about him already in these two weeks and how much mm. more attached to him you are now than when he was born and like so that's just going to be exponential from here on out so if you just give it time, like that connection is going to build and you're going to like create a rapport, you know, like you're going to have a relationship together. You don't know who you are either as a mother yet. So you're getting to know that person as well. So it's just this kind of like settling in period mm -hmm. where like these mm -hmm. connections are forging um, and, and you'll eventually feel like this strong family, but it's, it, it feels tenuous at first. Mm -hmm. So that's, I'm, yeah, I'm hearing from you like so much, um, it's like permission to be authentic and just to put expectations aside because often in several aspects of our life, it's the expectations that actually cause, you know, it's very uh, Buddhist, of course, mindful. Like every time we attach to something or expect something to be different than it's not, we experience internal distress and pain. And I, just to yeah. be able to go with it, be open about whatever it is you're feeling. I think that would be great advice to any new parent is to have no expectations because mm -hmm. like then like every day is a different day too. Like even like when you think that you've like kind of, you know, learned how your baby likes to sleep or how your baby likes to eat, it could change the next day. So it's just like, you're, you're just kind of day by day. And, and like, mm -hmm. it, it was the pressures of my previous life that I was putting on this new life that I think caused me a lot of stress. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be sleeping mm -hmm. right now, you know, or, or like, mm -hmm. like I should be, you know, back into shape already. Um, but it's just, right. just kind of like being in the moment, like you said, mindfulness, like just kind of noticing the things that are happening, you know, even if you don't like them, like let them pass on by down that stream because like it's mm -hmm. not going to be forever. And the stuff that you do like, um, enjoy while it's there and just like be present and, you know, not, mm -hmm. not keep your eye on how you think things should be looking, but how they are. Right. Looking. Yes. Awesome. Um, you can't bring a, as you mentioned, you can't bring a human into this world and, um, your body act and look the exact same way the whole way through and after. 
and with loss, right? There's changes uh, that occur. And you also talk, I mean, you talk about, it's so important, the body acceptance, and then also converse, you know, what we experience, particularly women experience is body shaming. You know, how do you look at it? How did you look at it before you had this experience and, and now? Yeah, pregnancy is a really odd time because your body is on display. And for the first time, people feel like they can comment on it right in front of you <laughs> very comfortably. You know, like they, they, they can say like, oh, you're ready to pop or like you're all belly. Um, or they can guess like what gender you might be having based on how your body looks. Um, and then there's this pressure afterwards to return, to get your body back, you know, like that's, that's a phrase, get your body back. Um, and like you said, there's no, it's impossible to get your body back. You can never be the same as you were before such an experience before such a transformation. And like, should you want to be like, you know, like there's, you know, there should be this, this emphasis on celebrating what your body has accomplished. Like what an, a miracle, like you formed a human and then it mm -hmm. exited your body mm -hmm. and then you nourished that human from your own body for potentially months. Like you kept a baby alive potentially, like uh, if, if you're not using formula on the only thing that like only, only what you, you know, created. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's miraculous. Um, and you're not going to get rid of those stretch marks and you're not going to get rid of, you know, some pelvic floor changes. Um, your feet may never get smaller. Like your breasts will hang differently, but like, of course they will. Um, and so, so I think like to, to pressure a woman, um, to get her body back and drop that weight and, and look the same as she did is kind of a dismissal of everything that she's accomplished where as we should like brandish these changes, like battle scars, you know, that are like also, you know, some, some kind of personal victory. Yeah. And that again, separating, um, other expectations for get your body back versus one's own expectations. I mean, do you find that, I mean, there's self-talk that has to happen here to be like, no, this is me now and this is fine. And I'm, you know, I'm this awesome, beautiful childbearing woman. Like what, what kind of process does you think people, you know, have to go through? Oh, absolutely. Most of it is probably self pressure. Um, mm -hmm. because nobody says to you, you need to get your body back, <laughs> you know, like, like they, they can talk about your body while you're pregnant and like how much weight you get, you know, uh, gained, but then as soon as the baby's out, they can, they no longer talk about your body, at least to your face. Um, mm -hmm. but just because like, you know, you, I've been in circumstances though, where like you visit, you see a new mother and then you leave and people discuss it, you know, behind their back. So like, it's easy mm -hmm. to just like into it than what people are saying about you perhaps. Um, but yes, I think, I think, um, if you can just, you know, learn to, to love the way that you look, um, and, and to to like look down at your body and see your children, you know, like, mm. like I think that mm -hmm. kind of puts a new lens on it. Um, it's not your body anymore. It, it's, it's, it's not just your body, you know, it's, mm. it was kind of this launching pad for these other lives. Um, yes. And a lot of kids that I know really still like to be very close <laughs> to that body <laughs> yes, that's true. that they came from. So how would you say, how has motherhood changed you? I think um, it has expanded the breadth 
of my experiences. So there has been um, much more joy and then also much more frustration and hmm. um, and sorrow. But, but like, but especially during this pandemic, um, I found it a particular blessing because, um, you know, we were in lockdown. So we had, we had only like the inside of our house to entertain us. Um, and they like, we were experiencing a lot of anxiety and panic about that, but it was so nice to have Rowan who didn't know anything about a pandemic and was satisfied in that own space and like rediscover and discovering, you know, different worlds inside that house. Um, you know, opening cabinets and, and all like the possibilities of Tupperware and like, just like bringing joy to things that had seemed dull to us and like um, opening up the mundane and making it, you know, kind of this spectacle. Um, so I, I guess I'm seeing the world in a new way. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and he's made us silly, you know, like, uh, like, so I'm like, I've like, you know, a renewed sense of silliness, which is fun. You know, um, we do a lot more singing, a lot more dancing. Um, so it, 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 in that way, it makes like these small moments into big moments. Um, mm-hmm. on the other hand, like it makes other things that were easy, a little bit more difficult. Um, we have yep. to live at a slower pace. Um, I find yeah. vacationing very difficult, you know, like we can't see the amount of, of things <laughs> that we like had once seen. And at that same pace, um, nothing is yep. predictable, you know, like no. we, can't, we can't rely on a good day. Mm-hmm. Like if, if we pack up and go to the beach, we don't know what mood he's going to be in. Um, and so like back to that mindfulness, it's, it's about yeah. just like living in the moment and saying, okay, this one didn't work. Um, but you know, we'll try again tomorrow. Um, and, and just when there is a good day, just like really reveling in it. It has expanded your experience is what I'm hearing. And, um, in all ways. And I think, again, the real story is to help uh, parents out there understand the experience of having children expands you in all ways, the joy, the adventure, and the depths of frustration and difficulty and feeling out of control and things not working the way they're quote supposed to work. Like it's, it's all of it. I think Zorba the Greek, the full catastrophe, right? It's like, it's all of it is in parenting and motherhood. Yeah. Like I, I, I see myself as, you know, the most fun I've ever been as well as like the angriest. So you just like, you get to know different versions of yourself. Mm hmm. And yes, and orienting everyone back, as you said, to like each moment, each day, it always, it's always changing and it's always going to be different and trying to have that clean slate in each moment and each day. It's really challenging, but it's a, it's, it's an aspirational goal. Yes. And not to put the pressure on yourself or your children to Mm -hmm. make each day something that you hope it will be, but just let it Mm -hmm. be what it is. Okay, before we get to the parent footprint moment question, that's your uh, little uh, preparation uh, there. Uh, What do you want everyone, like what are are your hopes that people will take uh, from your new memoir coming out this fall shortly? Yes, Um, there's a few things I hope. So um, I I point out a lot of ways in which... um, we don't celebrate women or, and that we don't, um, that, that we hold women to, to standards that maybe we shouldn't. Um, and so I, I hope that there's like a spread awareness about that, but 
in general, though, I hope that it empowers women to share their own stories because I think that we need to collect as many as possible that like we haven't really valued the mother's story as well as um, as we should. And so we've kept them kind of quiet. And because of that, um, we don't know when our experiences are are normal or not. Um, like the, one of the biz- biggest examples of this is like the spectrum of baby blues to postpartum depression. I think it's like mm-hmm. really unclear um, what postpartum depression looks like in the real world versus like when we see images of, you know, a woman wanting to drive her truck off a bridge, like that is kind of like mm-hmm. the most extreme version mm-hmm. of it. And that's the one that we've seen the most. So if it doesn't look that horrible, we don't think that's what we have. Um, so I think the more real life stories that we put out there about what our experiences looked like, the more chance that other people can point to it and say, Oh, that's what I have. Um, and, and be able to then either, you know, find treatment or find community, um, or, you know, find allies, um, and just, you know, find whatever you need because the information is out there. Whereas now I think there is like kind of this hush, um, to keep our stories to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's, it's time. <laughs> Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as a person, as a parent, or as a parent. And that new awareness had a positive impact on yourself, your child, and or those you love. Okay. Um, so the instance, I'm sure there are many, the instance that I'm going to talk about is um, has to do with breastfeeding. So there is, you know, that that um, well-known phrase, breast is best. Um, and just like the general best practice is to breastfeed um, up to one year. Breastfeeding was really difficult for me. Um, I had a full supply of milk, but I had a, a lot of trouble latching and we had to use all sorts of different devices. And it was hard for me to do alone. It was hard for me to do in public. So um, I wanted to, to give my baby the best that I could. Um, And I tried for a really long time. Um, And I think doing so and feeling that pressure actually made Mm -hmm. me more of an unhappy mother um, because it was such a struggle and it was so isolating um, and painful and um, frustrating for me and the baby. Um, So I I breastfed for five months and that was pushing it considering Mm -hmm. like what, what a toll it took. So I think I realized at that point that best practice does not necessarily equate to what's best for our family. Um, Mm. And so to like really look at the information that's provided and why things are considered best practice, um, like what, what kind of a difference it makes. So like Emily Oster is a, I'm I'm sure you're familiar with her as a a big Mm -hmm. um, advocate of this is like, you know, looking at information and, um, and kind of discerning what different choices means and like the consequences that they have. So her book, Expecting Better and Crib Sheet and she's coming out family firm, like that, that these are all like my Bibles and I, um, I turned to them. And so like, I, you know, read from her that, um, the difference between breastfeeding and formula actually only equated to about like one extra bout of diarrhea a year for a kid. <laughs> So like, so you have all that for nothing. (laughs) So you have these, yes. Like when you take, when you take the phrase breast is best, you put like so much significance Mm -hmm. onto it. But when like, it really comes down to this brass tax, then you can kind of have a more knowledgeable decision of like, well, is that really worth, you know, like the consequences? So I've been trying to apply that to all aspects of 
my parenting. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of talked about different circumstances where that might come into play, you know, like when, when I want to go running or when I want to go out to meet friends and, you know, like what is best for the family rather than what like the general public might consider best yes. practices. That is super important. Everyone, you heard that. What is <laughs> Best best practices does is not necessarily best practices for you or your family, right? And again, like there's this theme here that you're talking about, where like pushing through societal expectations, right? Expectations is like capitalized, bolded, and really looking within to look at your situation, who you are, what you care about, what's important to you, and to trust that inner guide over the societal pressures yes. and expectations. And to give you and the members of your family the tools that they need to be happy and and to act best inside that unit. Awesome. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Lana, you. for sharing all of this with us today. Um, tell everyone, so My Body is a Big Fat Temple coming out soon. Um, and you have your other books. Tell everyone what they should be looking for and where to get them. Sure. Yes. My Body is a Big Fat Temple comes out on October 12th, which happens to be my 35th birthday. Awesome. Um, so yes, give me a, a birthday gift by pre-ordering mm-hmm. it now. Um, so you could do that anywhere books are sold, um, whatever's most convenient to you. Um, I have My debut novel, uh, Mercy House, came out last year, and that's also available wherever books are sold. Um, and The Happiest Girl in the World is... Um, is out what came out this April. Um, and it's, it, it ended at this Olympics. So it feels like very timely. And like, if you read it, you're kind of living it in real time. You have been doing a lot of writing. The pandemic was a very, uh, yeah. <laughs> <productive> time. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for this conversation. And, um, I'm sure you're going to be enlightening us in the future, uh, about motherhood and parenthood as you experience it. Uh, in real time. So thank you for your honesty and authenticity. Thank you so much for having me. All right, everyone, that concludes another episode. If you liked what you hear, please pass on to your friends, subscribe to the show, join our amazing community. And if you want more of Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan, check out our bonus episodes once a month exclusively on Stitcher Premium. To listen, just go to stitcherpremium.com slash Dr. Dan, click start free trial, select a monthly plan and sign up with the code Dr. Dan, and you'll get a month of free listening. Help us in our passionate mission to make the world a more loving, compassionate and accepting place. One person, one parent and one child at a time. You know what I'm going to ask you to do, and that is to try to be the person you want your child to become. And as always... Ask yourself the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast, and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. If you are an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com forward slash ads. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. 
Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.